AI is only as good as the data we give it. And if no human is giving that data, we're going to miss it every single time. And that's a problem we have in the industry right now. Companies are just starting and they are just now building voice development teams, data science teams, and machine learning teams. As they do that, it is going to be very easy for them to find a homogeneous group of people to do that work because that's the groups we have now. We know better now. We know that that does not create great products that appease or serve all of the constituents that we're trying to serve with our products when we release them. So now we have a chance to do it over. And this is long before we start then automating what we're doing with machines and with AI. We need to make sure that we're willing to invest. What takes time is waiting and being patient to actually populate your team with just as many women as men, with just as many people of color, people with different philosophies, sexual orientations, gender identities, and physical abilities. You will get better products at the end. You won't go through what companies like Amazon and Facebook are going through right now, where they're shutting down models that they've spent millions, sometimes billions of dollars building. They're not diverse enough. This is literally a diversity of thought problem. AI only works well when the data set is diverse. And the only way to get that is by having people who know to ask those types of questions. Welcome to the Sound in Marketing podcast. Today, I get the pleasure of talking with Noelle Silver. Welcome to the show, Noelle. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I think it would be best if we just kind of start with a snapshot of you, what you do, and how it fits into data science and voice. Yeah, absolutely. So my, I actually started off my career in tech, um, but it was for like major tech companies. So I started at IBM, I was there for like 10 years and went to Red Hat and in all of these positions, I was always kind of like the trainer slash consultant slash developer person. Um, and, but I got very excited about education and teaching people how to use the technology that just keeps evolving, as we both know, right? Just in this industry, things keep changing. And so I was really passionate about educating people. Um, and then uh, at some point I became, I was asked by Amazon to join their organization uh, to really help them build out a education team for AWS, for Amazon Web Services. But a year after I took that job, Alexa was born and it kind of changed the trajectory of my entire career after that. So that was like in 2013, 2014, um, Alexa hadn't been launched yet. Uh, you know, they were launching beta products, which I ended up having. I still, I still have one in my kitchen. Um, and this, what it did is it basically, it started a journey down artificial intelligence, data science, machine learning, ethics that I would never have expected because back then we didn't even know if it would work, <laughs> right? Like the product had launched, nobody had talked to a kitchen device before. But it definitely was a, it was a pivotal moment where I was like, I'm going to do something I never thought I could ever do before. Uh, but after that, I spent three and a half years there, launched four languages on Alexa. Um, and then I got very interested in other models. So I went to Microsoft and led, uh, I was on the AI engineering team there where there was about 17 different AI models um, that I care and fed for and advocated for. And I'm still trying to advocate for because they're, they're models that any developer could use as an API and no one knows that they exist. And so I'm a big believer now um, in how do I educate more people to use AI correctly, ethically, um, but also not waste their effort building other things. 
Um, so I went to NPR for a little bit to run their engineering team, which is super fun and exciting. I love my, my family at NPR. Um, but during this pandemic, I started to think very differently about my career and my choices and what I wanted to do. So just recently in the last couple months, I decided to take a role at HackerU, who uh, this company, basically our job is to help reinvent university education. So we're, I, I am the head of instruction, which basically means I lead all the instructors as well as the curriculum development and engineering teams for both data science analytics and full stack web development. But it allows me for the first time ever to create voice technology education in a university setting. So I'm super excited because it's like groundbreaking work um, and we get to actually set up you know, new engineers for the first time. <laughs> um, we get to actually say, here's what we want you to know. And we'll probably talk about several of the things that I think is important for them to know um, at the beginning of their career, as opposed to trying to like, you know, hammer it in 20 years later. That is so exciting because there's not, as far as I know, there isn't anything like that. I've been out of college for almost 20 years, so it's changed a little bit, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's not very much out there to begin with. So to standardize something, to have the opportunity to standardize something is so amazing and so powerful. And yeah, it's, it's exciting. exciting. Mm -hmm. It's very exciting. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, kind of an expose that you are part of, Can Robots Make Art? Uh, or at least a segment or something. Um, very exciting stuff. I'm not, I'll just preface this. I don't get art. <laughs> like I don't get like paintings and it's either pretty or it's not. And then I move on. And so it's not uh, this deep introspective, like, <laughs> no, it's really not. And I went with my friend to the Getty museum years ago and I just like, I looked and then I looked and then I looked and then all of a sudden he's two rooms behind me. And I'm like, what is he doing? He's still standing there. Um, so anyways, if you could go ahead and explain what this was about, because this would benefit people like me. For oh sure. yeah, absolutely. And it's actually a, a critical way to do all in my mind, any project that involves AI machine learning or data science. What happened was we wanted to make sure, we wanted to create um, a collaboration. And that collaboration was between data scientists and engineers at MIT um, and the curators at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And at the time we started, we didn't know what the outcome would be. That the NBC Nightly News like expose was actually the outcome of the fact that we ended up building something meaningful. Um, but at the beginning of that project, we didn't know but we knew that in order to solve any problems for the art industry or for the you know, museum industry, any problems, if we wanted to solve them, we had to get the person with the problem in the room to help solve it. And I think that's a critical lesson uh, for anyone who's building tech with technology, that you have to have the person with the pain drive the product direction. You can't think you can empathize enough. Like this is part of the having a diverse organization, a diverse group of people. You have to have someone who actually knows the problem. Um, and so we met with the curators. It was funny because similarly, they were like, they had a very specific perspective on tech. <laughs> Basically that it had no business in art. It was like an awkward high school dance where the data scientists were on one side of the room and the curators were on the other. And they were all kind of like, yeah, this is fun, you know, but not talking to each other. And over the course of a two-day period, they got into teams and started talking about the problems that they experienced. And here's one that's interesting that we solved, which was what happens when a curator, and if you look at curation, it's similar to tech. It's a very homogeneous 
like group of people that get into this work. Um, there's not a lot of diversity. I mean, unfortunately. Um, so there's just, it's homogeneous in nature. As a result, even though it's, it's not, I, I don't want to say intentional, just as a result of a certain type of people tagging all the art, they use the same words to tag all the art, even if the art was culturally associated with a different demographic. And they wouldn't know the words, right? They wouldn't know what a culture call, you know, what a Hispanic culture would call something. So they would just call it a chair or a table when it actually could have been a very symbolic reference. The challenge with this is that the art then doesn't become accessible. Like I can't search for it. As a Latina who knows what that's called, I can't search for it by the name that it's authentically known as because the person who tagged it didn't know to tag it that way. And so what we did is we used AI combined right with the curator going here's my struggle i don't know the words to use they could say here's what i think it is ai could then go and search right and say this is this you know hispanic reference in this time frame and it could search for other words that represent that that tag and it just augments the existing work the curator is doing it doesn't take away their job they're still necessary but it lets them be better at their job right by exposing more opportunity to get the right tags on the right art so that it's accurately portrayed within the, you know, the curation. Um, and I thought that was magical because there, there's no way for an individual to do that. As a human, you, you only know the words in your head. Like you can't be faulted for not knowing if you're not Spanish, <laughs> you can't be faulted for not knowing that. And if you have, they had literally 25,000 years of art to curate and tag. You're not going to be able to do research the same, like at a super deep level on every single piece or you'll never, ever finish. So AI is a perfect solution in this case. Um, and then we also built, of course, an Alexa skill, which is what my piece was about. We built an Alexa skill that went against this newly tagged art and allowed someone like my son who has Down syndrome to be able to use his voice and navigate art, like say, what's the art of today? and it would pop up art, and then he could ask questions. He'd be like, oh, who's this artist? Or, oh, I like that color, or whatever words he wanted to say, and it would generate new art, or go and find new art that was similar to the things that he would say to the system. So, so yeah, I think the, the biggest benefit I got out of it was just seeing how important it was that the curators were as important to the process as the technology was. And I think also you mentioned in the in the storyline that um, having this kind of accessibility might bring people into the museum that wouldn't go because they know they don't have the accessibility right. at that moment, you know? That's right. Um, but if they know, like if they have special needs of some sort, but they know that it's going to help assist them, they might be more adept to go and you might get a whole new audience of people that's that right. wouldn't experience otherwise. That's right. Like, And especially like the Metropolitan Museum of Art and some of these big names like the Louvre in France and like all these places that are not accessible to everyone. But I recently, you know, uncovered, I, I have a lot of different types of people in my network and a person with um, significant physical disabilities was like, do you know that one in five people have a physical disability? And what shocked me about that was a, this accessibility piece. Like why would I not everything that I do or experience as a technologist, I'd want to make accessible to one fifth of our population. Like that's a huge chunk yeah. to not care about. But then even in the workforce, I, you know, coming from a place of empathy, like how would we even know to think to build for that audience? I have, in the 20 years I've been in engineering, I've never worked with anyone with physical disabilities, ever. 
how is that possible? Because I know like cognitively they're the same, they have the same dreams, they want to be software engineers. I mean, there are software engineers. There's something broken there through a diversity lens of like, I want to be thinking about that as an engineer, but why isn't there someone on my team that represents that, that could directly speak to it and provide that perspective and drive that user experience? I think that's something that needs more research, I, I definitely think. You were talking about how AI gives you the possibility of having access to, you know, knowledge that you wouldn't have if you're not from Mexico or Spain or Russia or whatever. But you could start the process a little earlier if you had more physical human diversity. That's right. Machine learning still has a ways to go and misunderstands things. And there could be some sort of like very subtle slang of the people of like Machu Picchu uh, that only happened in a five-year span where they used a word that never got used again. I don't know. There's just... Or something that they only use in the context of a family that they would never say, you know, similarly to us. Like there's ways we communicate among friends that we would never stand on a stage and communicate, but it's still a rich part of the human experience um, that might change how we design a product. And so, yeah, I think you missed that. Um, a of course, AI is only as good as the data we give it. And if no human is giving that data, we're going to miss it every single time. Uh, and that's a problem we have in the industry right now that we're, you know, a bunch of us are trying to solve in a lot of different ways. Well, my brother, he was in the Peace Corps his senior year of college, and he went to Mali. And the language that they spoke was, he had to learn it through immersion, because it was a, it was a spoken language. It was never written down. So the only way that he learned it was he he was in the capital of Mali for about a month with a host family. It was amazing because my brother is awful at languages. Awful. Like he spent he took four years of Spanish in high school and nothing. <laughs> nothing. And he spent a month of immersion in this African country and he picked it up. It fell out of his brain once he came home, but he picked it up and he'd be talking to me and then he'd turn because the milkman would be there and he'd just say words. And I was like, who are you? <laughs> so there is something to having like a, a human to human connection to explain things to each other and to explain things to the AI. So just to your point and everything, the voice community and even AI in general, it's a very new community. It's, I mean, it's been around for a few years, but definitely a shorter amount of time than some other mediums that are out there. How do you think that it has the possibility to create a structure and a foundation that is more um, inclusive and diverse? How, how do we go about that? Since we're in the brand new stages of it, we have an opportunity to not make the mistakes we did before. Are there ways in data science that you can think of specifically? Yeah, I think um, I think that it's important. It's actually kind of what similar to what you just said, which is it's more of a human activity than a machine activity in the beginning. Like we do need to make sure that we are prioritizing investing in creating a diverse workforce. Right now, companies are just starting and they are just now building voice development teams, and they're just now building data science teams and machine learning teams. And as they do that, it is going to be very easy for them to find a homogeneous group of people to do that work, because that's the group we have now, right, in tech. Um, and I say that, of course, you know, just to be completely candid, 
I mean, that's like a white male audience, right? Which is, it, it, it is what it is, but it is certainly a fact. We know better now. We know that that does not create great products that appease or serve all of the constituents that we're trying to serve with our products when we release them. So we know that that doesn't work. So now we have a chance to do it over. And this is long before we start then automating what we're doing with machines and with AI. It's like, we need to make sure that we're willing to invest. And when I say that, it's because it'll take you much less time to get a homogeneous team because you can just, you know, collect a group of, you know, there's a huge industry full of white male technical experts. <laughs> what takes time is waiting and being patient to actually populate your team with just as many women as men, with just as many, you know, people of color as not, with just as many people with different philosophies, sexual orientations, gender identities, like, and physical abilities. It is more expensive to be diverse. That is some, uh, I, if people don't know that, I think they do know it because it's one of the reasons why we don't do it because it costs more time and more money to wait for a team that is fully diverse. However, as with all good things, if you pay that money up front, you won't, you will get better products at the end. You won't go through what companies like Amazon and Facebook are going through right now, where they're shutting down models that they've spent millions, sometimes billions of dollars building. They're shutting them down because they're not diverse enough. So if we, as the voice community can really own the responsibility of building diverse teams in our consulting companies that we're creating, in the startups that we're building, and even in the relationships with larger tech companies that we're building, like we need to hold companies accountable. If we look and see everybody's one type of person, and I, this is true even if it's all women, it's just as bad, or all people of color. Like this is literally a diversity of thought problem. AI only works well when the data set is diverse. And the only way to get that is by having people who know to ask those types of questions. And I, it's very rare right now to see a team that's just richly diverse, um, you know, show up in the industry. And so I think we have to just start making different choices and being willing to be patient and spend more time and money to build those teams. So I'm hoping that the voice industry, you know, seeing that they have a new opportunity kind of takes advantage of that. I agree. And also just talking about putting the investment on the front end of it. Um, if you have more inclusion, you have more, uh, you can create more of an emotional connection. You can create a stronger product and brand that speaks the right messaging to the right people. And if you're just guessing, it's That's a right. crapshoot. That's right. <laughs> so yes, I, I'm really looking forward to, I really hope and pray that this does happen, that this opportunity isn't missed by the voice community. Um, and I just, I feel like they're ripe for this because just everybody's so nice. And that's weird to say it that way, but they're so nice and everyone's supportive of each other. And it's just a great opportunity to just further that. Yeah. And I think there are organizations even now that are starting to think about standards and build standards. So I think it's, it's definitely, I see some groundwork happening, but it, you know, diversity is the long game. You know, it's not like you can do these tactical things and see results immediately. Obviously, I mean, I've been in the industry 20 plus years and there is actually negative change on, you know, people of color and specifically Latin Americans like myself in that space. Like we're, our numbers are dwindling, which 
it's funny because I think most companies would say that they've invested in that effort over time. Like they've constantly invested in it, but the results aren't there. And so, yeah, I really think that we as the voice community have a different opportunity to say, what are we going to do strategically and tactically, but then how are we going to hold ourselves accountable to move that needle forward instead of just be like, we're going to do training. And the only metric for success is if you sat through the training. Not if you actually change the thing you're getting trained on. As Noel so eloquently put it, machine learning is only as good as its operators. We in the voice industry have a responsibility to include a more diverse cast to this voice story we're telling. If our developers and programmers and voice linguists and sales associates are only fill in the blank here, then that's all that we can honestly train our AI to be. That's also the only demographic that we can honestly believe we'll be selling to. For more of the Sound and Marketing Podcast, don't forget to follow, subscribe, and share. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Stitcher. For inquiries on producing and developing your own podcast, or for inquiries on sonic branding and sonic branding consultation availabilities, you can find me at Dreamer Productions. That's D-R-E-A-M-R Productions.com, LinkedIn, and Facebook. You can also email me at Gina, J-E-A-N-N-A, at dreamerproductions.com. All links will be provided in the show notes. This episode was produced by Dreamer Productions and hosted, written, and edited by me, Gina Isham. Let's make this world of sound more intriguing, more unique, and more and more on brand.